Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Infrastructure Code podcast. I'm Ohad Meislish, your host for today, and we have an amazing guest. We have Ilya Lazevnik. Hi, Ilya. Welcome. Hi, Ohad. Nice to be here. Great. So today it's going to be very special because Ilya is going to talk not about what he's doing on his day job, but what he's doing on his free time. So, but before we talk about your free time, uh, let's talk about what you do on your, uh, on your day job, and then we will switch to uh, Terraform and uh, providers and AWS and things like that. But first, Ilya, tell, tell us a bit about yourself, please. So I work at Placer AI. Uh, during the day, I'm a uh, software architect and I manage the production engineering team at Placer. Great. And a few years ago, you started doing something and contributing to uh, contribute to an open source. Tell us how it started and what exactly you started doing a few years ago. Awesome. So I think almost four years ago, I... Um, started actually my journey to the cloud, my previous company. And when looking at how to automate stuff, we obviously chose Terraform, uh, working on AWS. And soon enough, we saw, found some gaps in uh, what we can automate. And I've decided to um, fill those gaps by contributing to the AWS provider. And I found that it's uh, very nice. People are very receptive and uh, there's a large community out there of both contributors and people who are asking for help. And I've decided to uh, contribute more stuff, not only things that I need. And I've been doing this yeah, now for almost four years. Uh, you said contributing a little, uh, a bit more than just, uh, just a little. Um... So AWS Terraform provider, for those who are not aware of the data of this massive provider, uh, has almost 9,000 GitHub stars. But maybe more interesting is that it has 2,000 in 800 contributors, 2,800 contributors. And Ilya is ranked number one in this uh, huge list, uh, who is not a HashiCorp employee. So you're not getting paid for contributing for the AWS Terraform provider. You just decided to spend a lot of time and being the number one non-HashiCorp employee for contributing to this uh, AWS provider. I looked at some, uh, at some data and Ilya contributed about 200,000 lines of code to the Terraform provider of AWS and doing close to 2,600 commits. So now after we have this crazy information, let's explain maybe to our audience, what is the Terraform AWS provider and what is a provider, a public provider, maybe a private provider? What is a provider? Why Terraform needs providers? Okay. So actually, historically, Terraform had all of its uh, providers uh, as part of the single binary. AWS, Azure, Google, I'm not sure even Google was there back then. But um, Terraform decided to go to a very uh, pluggable architecture where everybody can use the core language of Terraform, HCL, and 
have an abstraction to allow them to manage uh, the resources of their respective tool, AWS, Azure, uh, Bitbucket, whatever, anything that has uh, basically CRUD operations and you can manage its state, you can create a provider for in Terraform. Basically, that's that. Because these are, imagine those as plugins to the larger Terraform uh, executable. Yeah, so the, the, the biggest uh, Terraform providers are AWS, Azure, GCP, but you have also providers for other solutions such as uh, Datadog or New Relic or OS0 or Okta or whatever needs to be managed by, by code. And AWS is, uh, is the biggest provider. Uh, lots of uh, changes, commits, and, uh, and updates to this to this provider. And AWS is also a public provider, unlike a private provider. Can you can you explain what is a public provider versus a private provider? Yeah. So a public provider is a provider that can anyone can use can uh, download when you use your Terraform locally or in your automation. You declare what kind of integrations you want to use if you're managing AWS, AWS, Azure, Azure, and you can just download it and um, it's versioned, meaning there are uh, updates and every time there's, usually it's weekly for AWS at least, and every time there's uh, updates, new resources, bug fixes, um, you can get those updates that uh, instead of a private provider, which you would manage maybe inside your own company and having your internal abstractions that are not supposed to be public for everyone. And those can be used internally uh, by your uh, other departments in the company. For example, if you have, I don't know, some internal platform where developers can create um, internal services or internal resources or tickets, and uh, you, you can actually abstract that for your company internally as well. Okay, but let's 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 uh, be honest here. Private providers are far less common than the public providers, and most most companies don't really need uh, too many or at all public providers. But basically, every Terraform developer uses several Terraform providers uh, in order to provision and update uh, resources. Um, and just to make sure we are not confusing providers with modules, what are Terraform modules? So modules would be a, a higher level of, of abstraction for the providers, assuming you want to have certain um, architectures or constructs, you would abstract them with a module. Imagine it, it like a function that does something very specific. Instead of having a uh, needing to repeat every time, whatever you need for a common example in AWS would be a VPC, and some subnets and a load balancer and a VM. And if it's something that is uh, common enough inside your company or common enough outside where everybody would want to reuse, reuse it, you would uh, package it as a module. Um, yeah. Great. So I don't need to just uh, use the provider resources directly. I can group them into one module and that will save me time to do repeatable things as, as a module. So the combination of module and provider is basically the best practice to use, to use Terraform. Okay, great. So providers, AWS, let's say now AWS releases some new capabilities. 
when and how those things will be available uh, within the provider. Okay. So as all providers are, basically they're a, a, an abstraction over the uh, public API of, of, of a given vendor, for AWS, for example. And the AWS provider uses the uh, Go SDK. Most of the Ter Terraform providers, I have not met a single instance that is not, but are written in Go. That is the preferred and common language. And as long as there is uh, the ability to use the AWS Go SDK to create and manage that resource, it can be used uh, in the provider to implement support for that resource. Yeah, but who, who writes that code? What HashiCorp contributors like you, Ilya, what, what is the process uh, that actually you know, gets those things implemented? Yeah, so usually there would be a need for, for, uh, for support for something. So usually the community would open an issue. Hey, there's a new AWS resource uh, being out. I don't know, serverless data databases, something like that. I don't know. I don't have an example for a uh, fairly new uh, AWS service in mind. And the community would like this to be implemented. There can be a lot of traction. The, the AWS provider itself uh, actually prioritizes the uh, tickets by likes. You can go, you can see the issue template, and if there's enough uh, um, outreach from the community, um, someone will probably take it, myself or someone internally from Hashi, depends on uh, maybe if it's an internal customer of Hashi, they will prioritize it as well, obviously. Um, but someone will take it and go look if there is support in the um, AWS Go SDK, there is not always. Sometimes the services are in private preview or the API is not uh, immediately available. Uh, but assuming it is, one would uh, look at existing examples. Uh, the provider, like any other provider, basically you need to implement the CRUD, yeah, the create function, update, delete, how to import the resource uh, from, from an existing uh, resource um, and you would implement uh, those functions with calls to the AWS SDK. There's a lot of uh, boilerplate and bootstrap and tooling, at the very least in the AWS provider, but uh, for a lot of these uh, very common wrappers and operations. And all of that is actually based on, there's, a, uh, there's an SDK internally by HashiCorp for creating those providers and um, Basically, you're using that. You don't need to really do everything from scratch. A lot of the heavy lifting is already done for you by the SDK, and you need to fill in the blocks. Some resources are simpler. They're just give me the name, the tags, and uh, you're fine. And there are monster resource with uh, a lot of configuration that's needed. Um, usually the larger, larger resources, imagine like a, a GKS, EKS, mm -hmm. uh, Kubernetes uh, resource has a lot of configuration that you need to pass for it. Um, but assuming you did all of that, uh, you need to also write tests. So nothing goes out that's not tested. You would have to write acceptance tests and uh, cover as much as you can um, from the... Uh, options that are available for that new resource or that new functionality. And 
a, a, a um, contributor would actually test it on their own uh, environment. I use my own account. Hashi, well, Hashi, any provider doesn't really provide you with here. If you want to contribute something, here's a free environment. You can do whatever. So, um, but they're very helpful. And uh, if uh, you say, hey, guys, I really want to contribute, but I don't have my own account. Here's something that uh, I've been trying to work with. It's partially available, but not tested. The folks from Ashri, even other contributors, are very helpful and they'll help you test it for you and show you that whether it's working or not and give you the feedback. So that would be like the life cycle uh, before opening the PR or before it being accepted. Uh, someone from the, um, from the uh, provider team would review the PR, give you feedback. You do cycles if necessary. Um, and if all is well, they will merge the PR. And usually every Thursday, a new version is out and you'll be able to already use it uh, as soon as that new version drops. That's, that's awesome. Can, can you tell maybe a little bit more? You, you said something very interesting about the lack of a real cloud environment to test sometimes the, uh, the pull request and, and the changes. Can you tell a bit more about the... the a small community, or maybe it's not that small community of contributors to the AWS provider. Uh, do you meet from time to time? Do you have some uh, some kind of uh, Discord channel, some kind of communication? How how, how do you work as a as a virtual community team uh, to help each other? Um, so, the, like there is there is a group of core contributors. There is an internal Slack channel for. Ashi for contributors for actually several providers because uh, I contribute to several providers, so I'm in those groups. There is no real rule of how the communities around providers behave even within Hashi. Like every provider is very its own thing with its own team, so there's no real um, standard how to work with the contributors as far as my experience goes. Um, but there, the, the work with Hashi directly is more like, hey, guys, if you need some help, you can reach reach out to us and we'll help you. Um, but there's no like uh, plan of how to do things as a community or anything. Or uh, the or contributors, because of that internal channel, we can talk to each other. We can ask for advice. Um, but uh, like any other online community, um, so, like, if otherwise, we probably have our own channel in Discord or, or something like that. But a lot of the conversations, actually, I think 99% of them are on the in, in GitHub on the PR level. Yeah. What do you think? Sure. Maybe we can ask this person. What's the, what's the best way? Hey, there was a PR like this that someone else did. You can look at an example. So, it's very, like, look at the example and, and do it like this. Yeah. So the collaboration is driven by the uh, features in GitHub that allow this collaboration for uh, comments and feedback and voting and things like that. So it sounds like, uh, at least not yet, the physical meetups or hackathon or, or pizza being involved in uh, contributing to uh, the AWS provider. Not, not no yet, but... No, uh, no pizza. No, no pizza. pizza. Not yet, but may, maybe Hachi will listen in on this and maybe they'll consider pizza. That can be a big, uh, a big change and big contribution from our podcast to uh, to the provider. Um, 
Awesome, awesome. Can can you tell some uh, maybe uh, you you've been working with that for like four years now, right? More yes. Like. Yeah. Can can you give like an interesting story of uh, something that you remember that was maybe a bit uh, special, either technically or socially, in one of those uh, you know tons of changes that were uh, introduced to the provider. So, uh, well, from my end, I, I can say several stuff. So it really opened me up to a bit other fields than I was working on. Uh, a lot of the work I did that I was passionate about in the provider was actually on allowing developers to work on, well, it's called MLOps, on the MLOps-related services on SageMaker on Glue, which is not something I did or do in my day-to-day, but... It really opened up the opportunity for me to get into those topics a lot more, especially now that LLMs are super hot, but I've been looking into those technologies for a while. Um, and it really allowed me to open my mind to other solutions and technologies and the variety of uh, the services that AWS provides. And a very notable example is actually a service that probably nobody Uh, uses a lot in production is uh, storage gateway allows you to connect to uh, really like legacy infrastructure on your on-prem and copy it to Amazon. It's a super valuable service to those who want to move to the cloud from a like legacy tape based uh, infrastructure. And somehow I find, found myself contrib- contributing to it and got a lot of traction from uh, people in Amazon as well that were like, Oh, that's like a gap we have, and that it's so great that someone is doing that. Are you like using it? And I was like, I've never used the service, and like most of the uh resources and automation I've worked on, but I've never used the service in my life um but a lot of a w s s customers are happy with that, so that's good um It's funny that you say I somehow uh found myself uh doing it this seems to be a repeatable yeah. model in the in your career area that you decide to find some gaps and find itself find those interesting enough to contribute from your time and to those open source projects it's it's amazing you know this conversation is basically a subset of what is open source and how open source uh Is working in general and to, and to see a live example of such a, a big project as I mentioned close to 10,000 github styles close to 3,000 contributors and to see and hear from a co contributor is uh, is fascinating uh, before we go I, I I do want to mention you know we we talked about AWS provider for for telephone although this is the most common way today to work with infrastructure as code on On AWS the combination of telephone CLI and the AWS provider there are other options that are not telephone obviously cloud formation uh, and CDK if you are more in the uh, imperative approach and pulumi and uh, others just a random question do you use any of those technologies or you're just in the oh. out of uh, of telephone only? It's a, it's a great question. I've, I've tried to keep an open mind and I've considered some of those, but I find myself that, well, first of all, we can strike cloud formation 
everything YAML based like that is just no go for me. But what? Um, what? Because cloud formation, cloud formation is 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 uh, uh, pretty popular. Okay, so yeah, it's okay. definitely. It's, what is your uh, why you have such a strong opinion about that? Well, first of all. Two things. One is the very YAML-esque approach and how you do some of the things that, well, for any other tools in the list you mentioned, you can do for each and mm -hmm. how you can do um, uh, optionals and when you can do conditional things. And it's, it's very useful when you write really complicated uh, modules at least mm -hmm. from my experience and it just it's gaps i know that cloud formation tries to fill a lot of a lot of these gaps mm -hmm. but and that would actually not be the main reason the, the the main reason would be that it's very aws oriented and when the sufficiently complicated infrastructure you'll find yourself wanting to manage things that are not just aws for example you said datadog earlier you want to manage alerts dashboards and like that there is a way to do it in cloud formation, but it's not very straightforward. And I'd rather use the more, let's say, native solution for those. Um, so, so yeah, it requires me to do a bit uh, hoops in the air to implement non-native things, even though if it works great for AWS resources. And I wouldn't want to use uh, multiple tools. I, I would strive to use like uh, the least amount of tools to do my job. But for the... Other things, uh, well, so CDK in the end compiles to either CloudFormation or Terraform more recently. So, well, from my experience working with more infrastructure teams, it, it, that level of abstraction wasn't necessary. And I'll say one more thing that might be a bit more controversial. If, if you want your developers to write uh, infrastructure as code, and CDK is a way to push it for them to use it, which is, which is good, but... And the end of the day, if, they're, if they don't understand the underlying resources or what it compiles and how to debug it, it's just another thing they'll have to learn and learn how to do and debug. And I'd rather teach my developers to use Terraform or, or whatever, uh, the relevant tool, instead of using an, another layer of abstraction. But I do see the value in CDK. Um, I just, if I can use it directly, I'll use Terraform directly. And almost the same goes for Pulumi. I don't know what state it is now, but as far as I remember, it uses the, uh, well, at least the AWS provider used the AWS provider code as a dependency and it wrapped around it. It wasn't using Terraform directly like CDK does when it compiles to it, but it, it used the same code. So if there's a bug in Terraform, there's a bug in Pulumi, <laughs> and you have to wait for both of them to release a version. And I know, like, I'm sure a lot of people in our in DevOps that waited for a new bug fix in Terraform were waiting for it very urgently. And if I need to have another tool to have to wait for it, it's, it's an inconvenience. So it's, I'd like to say I'm very pragmatic in that regard. Mm -hmm. uh, but all of these tools are obviously valid and have a lot of, a large community behind them. Perfect. Uh, I, I... You have very interesting and sometimes strong opinions about <laughs> the frameworks uh, that you prefer to use. I also want to add some thoughts. You mentioned uh, Datadog or other providers that are outside of the uh, AWS or cloud provider uh, ecosystem. Uh, I think when you are looking for something, uh, how to approach infrastructure as code, it's not just the framework 
itself and the providers, uh, it's the entire end-to-end -end solution that you need to, uh, to consider. One thing is, uh, for example, OPA, Open Policy Agent, and Policy as Code. Uh, Terraform has great support built in, uh, in OPA. Other uh, frameworks or uh, open source uh, projects work very nicely with uh, Terraform as well. I can mention Infracost as a great open source that gives you cost estimations. Those things, Terraform is a de facto standout to use when it comes to infrastructure as code. And that's why you have such uh, so many other great solutions that uh, first implement solution, implement support for Terraform before implementing others. Checkoff, for example, started with Terraform, then uh, added support for, uh, for other frameworks. So if you go with Terraform, at least today, maybe in the future, the situation will be different. Uh, you know that you have a big community, not just for Terraform, but to all other adjacent tools that you need in order to uh, work well with your infrastructure. So that's my, my two cents about uh, the discussion of uh, Terraform versus other frameworks. Uh, that's uh, my point of view of how to look at those things as an end-to-end -end, uh, solution and approach. That's a, that, that's a great opinion because also a lot of the people who contribute to Terraform, and you just mentioned Chekhov, and I really forgot about it because there was a time where I also contributed some, some checks to Chekhov back in the day. And I actually just had resources and um, things, I had enhancements, I had it to, to some existing uh, things in the provider. And right after I did that, I went to Chekhov and I added those checks. So mm -hmm. like, it's, it's, it's really easy just if you're even going into trying to contribute to that ecosystem, there's a lot of options you can do and, they, and, they, and they're really all connected. So yeah, definitely. Ilya, every minute we speak, we find out about find another it. open source that you uh, that you like contributing. It never it never stops. Huh? <laughs> awesome, uh, Ilya. Uh, thank you so much for uh, being a guest in our show today, and also thank you so much for contributing uh, so much code and approach, and just helping everybody here with a uh, much better. AWS telephone provider, and we haven't mentioned all of the other modules and providers you're working. So all in all, kudos to you on really amazing work contributing to the community. So thank you so much, Ilya, and thank you to our listeners today who listen to the show. I'm Ohad Maislis. You can follow me on Twitter or X, uh, DevOps Ohad, and the Infrastructure Support, the Infrastructure Support Podcast the iacpodcast.com or as well in Twitter uh, at the IAC podcast. Thank you so much and have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Bye-bye.